0: We come now to our second scripture reading, and the reading is in Hebrews chapter 5 from verse 11. It's quite a short reading. Hebrews 5, verse 11 to chapter 6, verse 3. I'll start at verse 10. Called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For one that useth milk is unskilful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. So reads, the precious word of God. As the <clears throat> writer continues to hammer home uh, and to ever deepen the understanding of his readers as to what it means that Jesus Christ is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, it's as though at this point um, he pauses. And you may remember that between chapter 5 and chapter 7, there is this long digression that goes from chapter 5, verse 11, to the end of chapter 6. And we've looked at that teaching on Melchizedek. Uh, We've skipped this digression. And that has been deliberate because we may perhaps begin to understand why he's made this digression having looked at the teaching in Hebrews 7 about Melchizedek. Because, you see, the writer, is, it's, it's as though he's pausing, it's as though he's just on hold for a moment. Because as he wants to communicate with his readers, he's aware of a real difficulty. Now, there can be a problem, as we learn... <clears throat> in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 16, there can sometimes be a problem that scripture is hard to be understood. We should never lose sight of the fact that there are easy and difficult places in the Bible. That can be the problem, but this is not the reason why the writer is here hesitating. That's not the problem. The problem is not with the intrinsic difficulty of what he's about to say. But as he makes absolutely clear, the problem is with his readers, his hearers. As he says in verse 11 of talking of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of understanding. He wanted to say a lot about Melchizedek, and we've seen just what a lot it's been in chapter 7, but it was going to be difficult and the difficulty was far more related to the hearers to the hebrew christians than to the message itself because they were dull of hearing i want to try and ask three questions of this section this the beginning of this digression and the first is what can we learn from the spiritual condition here as it's exposed of the Hebrew Christians. What can we learn from it? We need to understand firstly that the writer is not in some way hinting that he is not up to the job of telling them what he needs to tell them. That in some sense he's inadequate as an instructor of the word of God when it comes to this subject. There's no, he's not saying that. The second thing we need to see is he's not saying that this is a subject matter that's so esoteric, so strange and exotic that hardly anybody was able to take hold of it. He doesn't treat it like that. He speaks in the same way as he speaks of all the other subjects in his letter, uh, with with clarity and with extensive description. So the material, what he has to say in and of itself is not so strange and mystical that hardly anybody could ever take hold of it anyway he's thirdly he 's clearly not saying that the Hebrew Christians are just not up to it intellectually you know that they just cannot cope with this kind of an argument because as we 've seen in the first five chapters there is some uh, some very detailed and very um, well constructed things that he has to say there's some quite strong arguments and difficult arguments and he assumes that they will get their minds round it sooner or later incidentally that is always what scripture assumes it doesn't speak to men and women as though they were noddy with hardly any understanding of language it, it what it does is it elevates people and missionaries should teach the word of god and elevate uh, people's understanding to the word of god not boil the word of God down into nothing so he's not saying they're not up to it intellectually nor indeed and this is something we must note he's not saying that spiritually they have some sort of inferiority so that they just cannot there's no way that Hebrew Christians could ever take in this kind of stuff no the problem is not in what they are essentially, but in what they have become, what they have become. As it says in verse 12, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. In other words, They were there once, but they're no longer there now. He's not therefore speaking clearly to people who are very new Christians, who clearly have to be taken to the basic things first. He's not speaking to them as those that are utterly in their spiritual infancy, but it's as though he's saying, you're in your spiritual second infancy. Ye ought to be teachers. He's not saying they all need to be preachers, but what he's saying is that every one of them as Christians ought to be able to give an account of the faith and to speak uh, in detail and clarity and depth about the word of God because they uh, they have been in the faith for some time. It's as though they're 12-year-old children who need to go back to reception class in primary school all over again. Or like sixth formers who need to be taken to some sort of manual to learn how to read and write as though they've never learnt before. And notice in the beginning of chapter 6 he says, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. They need to move on. But as he makes clear, something has become true of them. They have become dull of hearing. And the word that's used there for dull apparently means sluggish in movement. Their capacity to move with the teaching, their capacity to go with it, to receive the teaching and to obey the teaching has been largely lost, although not entirely, otherwise he wouldn't say what he's saying. They have ears but they hear not. Uh, one or two things we can say here by way of application. Sometimes, perhaps often, depending on your perspective, the fault in the teaching is the preachers. The fault in the sermon is clearly the preachers. But we learn here it isn't always the preacher's faults when there is an inability to receive and to go with it. Secondly, we clearly learn here That it's not a good sign when all someone wants incessantly is the ABC of the gospel. As he puts it, the milk. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe. And he goes on to speak about the principles or the first principles. The word of the beginning. As it says in the margin of the doctrine of Christ. These are, in a sense, the ABC of things. As he exp- explains what these things are uh, repentance from dead works, faith towards God, baptisms, that is the baptism, Christian baptism in water, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. We need to remember, of course, this is a, a, a time of. Moving from Old Testament to New Testament, there are various elements, perhaps in what he says here, are foundational, which would particularly apply to Jewish Christians. But they are all very much at the start of the Christian life. Now he's not saying we, we can leave these truths. Of course we never leave truths such as repentance and faith and justification by faith and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, we never leave them. But our knowledge and grasp of these basic principles of these foundational matters should be ever deepening. That's the point. It's a very bad sign where Christians begin to consider doctrine as dead and dull. Yes, there are the same nutrients in milk and in meat, I believe, Largely, but obviously they're two different foods with different balances and different solidities. And it's a very bad sign when you have churches which are happy to be non-confessional. By that I mean happy not to bother about too much about doctrine. Oh, we just believe in Jesus, we just believe in the Bible. It's a very bad sign where you have churches that say, well, all we want to do is to bring people to Jesus Christ. Of course we want to bring people to Jesus Christ, but doctrine, teaching, the Word of God really matters. It's a very bad sign where you have churches that only want singing and things that bring emotional excitement and highs, but never want substantial sermons. What can we learn from the spiritual condition of the Hebrew Christians? We can learn the reality that it is possible to almost slide into a position of spiritual second childhoods. That is the warning that really applies to all of this digression. The second question we can ask is this. Why might what he has to say about Melchizedek in Hebrews 7 be hard-going for them to receive And therefore, of course, for him to teach. What is the difficulty that he anticipates in their reception and therefore in his task as a teacher of the word of God? Now, we cannot be exactly sure, of course, because he doesn't say other than diagnosing their condition. But we can make some relevant points And I think we won't be too far from what it is that's going to make it very difficult in his mind for them to receive what he has to say about Melchizedek. And again, we can learn from that. Notice again the description in chapter 6, verse 1, of the principles of the word of God, the, the principles of the doctrines of Christ. Now, the word that's used there for principles means... Uh, the rudiments, and it is a word that we get our word alphabet from. The alphabet, the letters A to Z, as you know, are the building blocks of words and sentences and paragraphs. So they are the foundation of our speech and of our writing. And he says you've got to leave these And you've got to move on from these. You've got to build, not demolish these, but build on these. That's what he means by leaving. He doesn't mean literally uh, chucking them into the refuse bin, but he means building on these rudiments. Why might they find it difficult to build on these rudiments, to build on these principles, in receiving teaching about Melchizedek, well, let me suggest—I think—four possible reasons, or three reasons at least. The first is this: he remember he's speaking to Christians that have come from a Jewish background. The first reason is this: that he is finding Christ in the Old Testament as he comes to Melchizedek. We, we've learnt in our studies in chapter seven that Melchizedek is found. In the Old Testament, in just two places, in Genesis chapter fourteen and Psalm 110. But we've also seen, and I'm sure we can all empathize with this, that we might, if we had been in their place as Christians and certainly as Jews before that, we might have just passed over these passages in Genesis fourteen and Psalm 110 without Linking them together into some big messianic whole. To, to see Christ there in detail, which is what he does in chapter 7, a lot of detail, not only from what is said, but by, from what is not said, is to be explicitly, almost in your face, messianic. That is, speaking of Messiah, speaking of the Christ. And that will cut across all their old traditional approach to the Old Testament scriptures. He was taking them out of their comfort zone in terms of doctrinal understanding. Of course, if it had been Isaiah 53, that would have might have been a different matter. But he's in a passage in Genesis 14, for example, which doesn't seem explicitly messianic. And there's a word for reading into passages, stuff that's not there. The word is eisegesis. It's a technical word which means basically you're finding stuff that's not there. But if one of the writers of the New Testament, perhaps one of the apostles, is saying it is there, then it is there. Second, why might they find it difficult to receive and therefore hard for him to teach Well, secondly, clearly, whatever he's finding there, it doesn't seem immediately to do a lot for them. After all, it's not about repentance. It's not about how to become a Christian. It doesn't immediately sound a chord about how to respond to persecution and so on, and how to live when I've been thrown out of my job because I'm a Christian, it doesn't pander to consumer religion, we can say. It doesn't immediately answer the question, what do I get out of this? But it does answer the question, how can I see the glory of God in Christ in this? You see? And he knows that he's on a, uh, on a difficult path when he cannot immediately tell them, well, just what this does for you here and now. I believe that could have been a reason. Thirdly, what he is saying is also radically unfamiliar to them. Because, as he explains in Hebrews 7, it requires a whole new view of the Old Testament Scriptures and of God's working in the world. Let's take, for example, one major area. He says that Melchizedek is from the tribe, or the Lord, rather, is from the tribe of Judah. Melchizedek is not from the Levitical tribe. He's not a Levite. He's not from Aaron. And Christ himself was not a Levite. He was not from that tribe, the tribe of Levi. He was from the tribe of Judah as a descendant of David. So he's going to be presenting in some detail in this chapter of a priesthood which is from Judah rather than from Levi. That is biblically, radically unfamiliar to them. It turns over their view of the Scriptures. Their view of the Scriptures, not what the Scriptures actually say, but their view of the Scriptures. And we can immediately think of other passages that were very hard for people to receive because of them, not because of the Lord. We think of that teaching in John 6, remember? That teaching in John 6 where Jesus said, I am the manna, I am the bread of life. Where he, as it were, said, well Moses He was an inferior person in this economy of God. He didn't even give the manna. God gave the manna, but the real manna is me. I am the living bread. Or when he alludes to the whole sacrificial system and says, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. In other words, my body is going to be the sacrifice. It's going to be the fulfilment of the sacrificial system. This is taking them right away from their comfort zone in terms of their traditions and spiritual insights. And from that moment on, we are told many of them, walk no more with him. It was a new view of the Bible and of God's working in the world. And friends, let us not be so proud as to think that even after being converted to Christ, I trust you being converted to Christ, that you and I do not need. New views of the Bible in so many areas. There's so much we need to learn. So that is perhaps some reasons why they were struggling and he knew they would be struggling. And then the third question. Seeing their problem, anticipating that they would struggle with it. Thirdly, how does he deal pastorally with them in this condition. And I think we, could ha- we have to say he deals with them gently but firmly. Notice that note of gentle firmness in verse 3 of chapter 6. Leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ and this will we do if God permits. They're not spiritually in good condition. They are lapsing into second childhoods. They're like someone perhaps weak from an operation or an injury, but they cannot be left on bed rest forever. They must get up and get moving. We must move on. We must leave the foundations. We must, in other words, build on the foundations. You notice that even having given this warning, which is intensified in the latter part of chapter 6, he still goes on and teaches about Melchizedek. He doesn't say, well, there, there, it doesn't mind. As long as you're saved, it doesn't matter. As long as you uh, understand that Jesus died on the cross for sinners and rose from the dead, that's enough. We can leave all this stuff. He doesn't say that at all. He doesn't monocoddle them. He takes them on, on onto the meats. He's determined to take them that way. He's determined to take them from the milk to strong meats, because he knows it's like riding a bike. You've got to keep moving or you'll fall off. And he knows of course that they have been Christians for quite long enough for them to take these things. Now there are many lessons here pastorally that we can learn from this we do need to read those parts of the scriptures that are hard and unfamiliar as well as the easy passages i have to confess that as a young christian for a long time too long i just read the psalms a few choice passages in the gospels and Epistles and the occasional chapter in the Old Testament, like like Isaiah 53. But the concept of reading right through my Bible, it was years before I got hold of that. We need to read all of our Bible. We must rouse ourselves to it. We must get out of our comfort zones So that we can go deeper in Christian doctrine and Christian behaviour. We need to remember that there is a strong link between doctrinal understanding and our behaviour, our sanctification. In 1 Corinthians 3, we are given an exact example of that. As Paul says to the Corinthians, I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal even as unto babes in Christ. Notice he's in the same area here. He said, I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. And then he goes on to say the consequence of them being carnal, of them being babes, when they shouldn't be babes. You're all divided. You're in factions. One is of Paul, one is of Apollos, and so on. There is... A moral outflow from our maturity, or lack of maturity. we do need to work at it being a Christian. And I use the word "work" uh, very advisedly. Notice in verse 14 that word "exercise" of have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. It's apparently related that word to our word "gymnasium" in the original language. Personally, I would hate the thought of a gymnasium. But some people seem to love it. But spiritually, we should all be in the gymnasium. We should be exercising ourselves. When did you last read a Christian book? When did you last have a discussion with someone about the teaching of the Bible? We need to exercise ourselves. The Lord's Day is a great day for doing this. A great day for training ourselves in righteousness, in strong meat and maturity and deepening our understanding of the ABC of the foundations and building upon it. Growing in discerning of truth and error and knowing right from wrong because that's what he's saying here in verse 14. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. That doesn't just mean spotting heresy. It also means how to live wisely. Discerning what is the wise way and what is the foolish way. The whole teaching of the book of Proverbs as to how to live godly in a fallen world. So that's how he deals with them. And that's surely the challenge for us from this first part of the digression. Are we going to move on and be robust as Christians? Or are we just going to go back into second childhood? And let me close this message by asking you this. Have you started the Christian race yet? Have you laid a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Of course, you cannot build on nothing. You cannot have a foundation absent and then build. If you do, the house is going to fall flat. Jesus has a parable about that in Matthew 7, about the man who builds his house on the sand. There's no foundation, so when the wind and the rain come, when the judgment of God comes, it falls flat. Cannot stand The all-seeing eye of a holy God after death or after the second coming of Christ, whichever comes first, because there's no foundation, there's no repentance, there's no faith, there's no true experience of Christ. You've never been baptised with the Spirit. Have you started that race? Praise God if you have. It's all of his grace and mercy. But now keep building on. Keep building. Cycling on. Keep pressing on. Don't settle for bed rest. Uh, We can have bed rest in heaven or whatever is the equivalent in heaven. Keep on keeping on, as they say. It's almost a cliche, isn't it? But there's a lot of truth in it. Keep on pressing on.